This podcast is generously sponsored by the Pillar Network. The Pillar Network is a community of like-minded churches that are doctrinally aligned so that they can be missionally driven to plant and revitalize churches together. That doctrinal alignment comes around six DNA. They are committed to gospel proclamation, being Bible-based, to live expository preaching, to churches that are elder-led, confessionally baptistic, and kingdom-minded. Reach out to them today at thepillarnetwork.com, thepillarnetwork.com. Baptist 21 is a pastor-led voice for Southern Baptists in the 21st century. The B21 podcast will discuss current issues in the SBC with Southern Baptist church leaders. To check out more resources, visit us at baptist21.com. Well, welcome to the Baptist 21 podcast. I'm Nate Aiken, and as always, we want to have conversations about what it means to be Christian, but also Baptist in the 21st century. Uh, and so today we're going to talk about a p- pretty important topic. We're going to talk about talk about the uh, the topic of pornography. And I have with me Deepak Reju. Deepak uh, is an author and, and has written on this topic, and we're going to talk some about that book. He's a pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist, uh, counseling guru. I mean, there's lots of things I could say about Deepak, but Deepak, thanks for being on the program. Glad to be here. Glad to have the time with you. Yeah, and this is a really, really important topic. I know... Uh, Pastors are dealing with counseling in this area all the time, and then certainly just Christians are uh, dealing with this. And so, brother, thank you for the resource and and the books. Uh, so let's let's first. I just want people to get to know you a little bit, uh, and then we can talk more about this topic. But uh, just tell us briefly who you are, how you came to know Jesus, and how you got into ministry. Yeah, great questions. Uh, I am um, I am second generation. Indian. My parents came over in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, grew up uh, uh, in a nominal Christian home, and it turned out um, a priest told my mom that she needs to take me to church because we went to church just once or twice a year. Hmm. Um, And so she found the closest church to our home, which turned out to be a faithful gospel oh, wow. preaching church. Amen. And in high school, I got converted in a, a Bible study that the one single guy in the church, Gary Metzger, ran. He, we played football and did a Bible study on Friday nights. And, um, and Gary's my spiritual father. It was mm-hmm. under spending hours with him through high school, asking all kinds of life questions, but then being in that Bible study. Um, and then going to... Um, Mets games at, at Shea and Veterans Stadium, mm. um, watching WWF wrestling with him. Uh, when it was WWF about, and not WWE, that's right. Uh, no, <laughs> doing life with him as a high schooler, mm. I came to faith in Christ. And is, he's uh, forever grateful for the investment mm. he was willing to do as a single man who stayed in a small church, mm. but invested in the youth in that church. Amen. And that was in the New York area? That was in uh, northern New Jersey. Northern New is, Jersey, uh, okay. where we, where we grew up, just 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 outside of New York. That's awesome. And then, so how did you then feel the kind of a compelling uh, kind of move towards ministry? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was I was actually typical Asian American geek. Can I say that? <laughs> yeah, is that you allowed to say that? I mean, I don't know. I'll, I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> okay. Uh, I you know, dude, going pre med. Uh, actually, went to the first half of med school. Oh wow! And then the Lord yanked me out of that. I mean, it was a season of burnout, reevaluating my life, but I was really running from what had been multiple people in my life had told me, you need not become a doctor, you need to go into ministry. 
And I think the Lord stopped me in my tracks, made me reevaluate everything. So I left med school halfway through and went to seminary. Mm. And in fact, one of the first people I talked to is I visited Southern as your dad became vice president. Oh, wow. Uh, 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 and, and that was one of the first conversations I had wow. um, as he landed there at, at Southern Seminary mm. and um, went, went to Southern in the late 90s, got my MDiv, and then came back to CHBC mm. as, a, as a first a pastoral assistant. I was Mark Dever's personal assistant for a few years. And then Mark invited me to come back as a long-term pastor, awesome. long-term associate. So he said, go get a degree in counseling, because he, he encouraged me that my gifts were in counseling, and said, go get a degree and then come back and work for me. So that was, that was the plan. Well, that's what I did. I went, I circled back to Southern, got a PhD in counseling, and then the congregation followed through on their end. The elders came back and said, we, we still want to do that plan. So we, I candidated, got accepted, and I We've now been here 15 years. That's awesome. Yeah, serving faithfully. Well, hey, before we jump into things about the book, I want to ask just a couple of bio questions, some fun questions. We usually mix this up with with new guests. And so I want to start here. Uh, what is your favorite sport and favorite sports team? Yeah, all right. Well, I mean, here's honest confessions for someone who lives in Washington, D.C. Yeah. My, my, my kids, especially my high schoolers, are diehard Washington football team fans. <laughs> And so the rivalry in our home is I grew up as a Cowboys fan. Amen. True, true <laughs> confessions. I grew up as a Cowboys fan because my father was a diehard New York Giants fan. And so I had to pick a team against him. So I have, have all kinds of paraphernalia. I, I just never take it out in public. Um, otherwise, I get harassed <laughs> yeah, by people. I'm sure, absolutely. That's uh, awesome. So, That's yeah, awesome. We, we watch a lot of NFL football between services on Sundays. That's awesome. Um, and we enjoy, especially two times a year in the NFC East, when the Cowboys play the, play the Washington football team. And we've enjoyed that as Cowboy fans very much this year. It, what's funny is it's, it's past time for Washington to pick a new mascot because on my app now, when Dallas beats Washington, it says da the Dallas Cowboys beat football team. That's all it yeah. says. It doesn't even say <laughs> Washington. Right. It says Football team, it's like okay, guys, we need to come up that's, with something. That's right. <laughs> well, they're they're about to announce the, uh, the the new team name in February. I saw that, like February second or something like that. Yep, I'll be, I'll be looking. Right. I'll be looking. All right. Uh, next question. Uh, you grew up in New Jersey. You're in DC, but you know, kind of moved all around. What is your favorite food? Wow, that's that's a hard one because um, I got you know a, a, an um, an Indian mom from the home country right. who cooks authentic hmm. Indian food. It's really hard to beat that. Oh, yeah. Then I love Italian food. I mean, mm. I grew up in New York where the rest, Italian restaurant we went to, the Italian grandmother from Italy was the main cook oh, wow. in the back room. And it was a family style restaurant. And then when I, by the time I hit high school, her two oldest sons had taken over the kitchen. So, you know, like, how do, how do yeah, you beat you guys, that? Hey, just lots of good choices. I love that. Um, <laughs> and then I have lots of fond memories because we went to New York a lot growing mm. up of going to Chinatown and Little Italy. So Chinese food, Italian food, Indian food, all three of them. Mm. And any one of those, if you give me, a, I, I don't really care about ambiance, like give me a hole in the wall that's got really good food. Mm. And that's exactly where I'm at. I love that. I love it. All right, last question. Uh, when is the first time you preached on a Sunday morning? And, and do you remember what the text was? Oh, yeah. I preached on a Sunday morning in seminary for um, the church plant, Trinity Baptist Church, which turned into Clifton oh, wow. Baptist. Yeah. Um, I preached as we were in between pastors for two Sundays, which was intimidating because it's in front of 
Bruce Ware, Tom Schreiner, Sean Wright, like that whole oh, audience. Yeah. And I don't remember the text. Okay. okay. I, I think it was I, I I think it was in the pastoral epistles. Um and uh yeah, I mean I remember prepping in my tiny little seminary room oh. um all by myself, trying to figure out how to do it for the first time, listening to recordings of other people who had preached, figuring out am I gonna totally mess this up and uh but it went fine. By the yeah. Lord, by the Lord, by God's grace, it went. And I'm it sure went those fine. men were very gracious and helpful in, in helping you develop that yeah, skill. Yeah, very much so. Awesome. All right, let's dive in. Obviously, we want to talk kind of big topic pornography, very needed conversation, but also then kind of skim over some of the, these two books. Uh, the two books are Rescue Plan, Rescue Skills. Uh, so I'll just start with a big question: Why these two books? Uh, and what was the main? You know, who's the main audience? And then why? How are they different? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, two books in the sense of we, we started with one and we started with Rescue Plan and essentially the middle part of the book grew so big oh, during my sab- writing sabbatical uh, and, and I thought, oh my gosh, what did I do? Um, and realize that one day my best ideas are in the shower. Realize mm-hmm. in the shower, like, oh, I can, I can break them into two books and Rescue Plan is the what, when, and why of understanding pornography. Hmm. Rescue skills is the how. Like, if you understand what, when, and why, now how do we do it? How do we get involved? How do we help someone? So unlike, there's a lot of good books that are out there that are there for the strugglers. Um, so we, you know, we, we commend Garrett Kell's book, yeah. Pure in Heart, uh, Heath Lambert's Finally Free, one that's not as well-known as John Freeman's, Hide and Seek is an excellent one, too. Good chapter books for people who are personally struggling. I was trying to work with Jonathan to create books that are there for the pastor, mm. counselor, small group leader, accountability partner, discipler, mm. parent of the teen. So the helper, discipler, who's in the trench with the person who's struggling. Oh, good. So uh, uh, equipping tools, uh, equipping material for the people who, you know, they're facing these issues. Mm. You got you got a parent whose teenager, they find them looking stuff on their phone. We got to help the parent know what to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, we got young men and young women showing up in our congregations and the pastors, the older disciplers and the small group leaders are running into this. Yep. And they need to know what to do. So that's who we target. Now, strugglers can read it and benefit mm. from it, certainly, but that wasn't our main audience. Right. We want to equip the people who are there on the front lines. And Jonathan, just, just so our hearers know, Jonathan Holmes, he's at McLean Bible. He is the co-author of these of this book, and he was going to be on here with us. We had to reschedule, and so he couldn't make it today. But uh, that's when we say Jonathan, we're talking about Jonathan Holmes, who's at McLean. Oh, no, he's at Al- Alistair Begg's church. Oh. Sorry, I don't know why I said McLean. Yeah, he's at yeah. he's at uh, up in Cleveland. That's right. Um, yeah. So just so you know, Jonathan Holmes, uh, as you hear us maybe talk about him along the way. All right, next question: um, What are the key scripture texts in your mind on this on this key topic? Yeah, I'll run through a, cu- a couple real quick in, in thinking about it. Um, first, uh, you know, you think of Romans eight and Galatians five, a contrast between the flesh and the spirit. Um, so a life in the flesh. So if you think like Romans 8, 5, uh, the mind of the flesh, or we'd say like the mindset uh, of fleshly living um, versus the spirit. You know, we, we all know what white knuckling approaches are, where we do it on our own strength. We do it according to our own flesh. We do it in our own sinful, you know, according to our own sinful nature rather than living in the spirit. 
So there's a lot there. James 1, 4, 14 and 15. We're, we're tempted when we're lured and enticed by our own desires. So addictions fundamentally are about r- r- desires that have overrun our life. Mm. Uh, Romans 13, 14, 1 Peter 2, 11. What are we going to do with the desires? We need to learn to put to death the desires of the flesh. With, with the end point, the end goal, Galatians 5, 24, putting to death, crucifying the desires of the flesh is what we're trying to do. We're trying to kill these desires that are overrun our life. Matthew 5, 27 to 33 is often a text I use the first time I meet with someone when they confess it. Because uh, we're thinking about like gouging out the eye, cutting off the arm, just and we'll talk about that a little later. Just to cut what it means to be brutal mm. about cutting off the access points, yeah. and then shame is huge. So different categories of shame: Galatians three, being naked and exposed; Matthew eight or John five, being dirty and unclean; Genesis sixteen, Sarah and Hagar, outcast and rejected. Mm. Or uh, Matthew twenty six seventy five uh, failure. So Peter's denial of Jesus. So naked, exposed, dirty, and unclean, rejected, outcast, and sense of failure. All of those I listed texts that give us dynamics of shame, because Scripture speaks to shame. Scripture is really clear That's right. about this whole category of shame. Yeah. And then back to John five, um, you see Jesus helping a woman whose life was overrun by sexual sin. And how, how does Christ minister to someone who lives in a life of shame? Oh, all right. That's just a sample of a, yeah. a, a number of texts, which you see. What I'd want the listeners to notice is that I didn't quote just the text on sexual immorality. Right. I could have listed tons of those, but there's much more in Scripture about how to deal with desires that have overrun your life and how Christ can be at the center mm. of us fighting those desires. Mm. You've mentioned the audience is obviously disciplers, so kind of leaders who are going to try to help people through this struggle. So kind of building on even just some of the language you just used, we, we know any pornography is a sin, right? So we, we know that. But how, like they're using the language of addiction, how can they know if someone they're dealing with is kind of like so far into this that it's, it's a, I mean, obviously it's a problem. I don't want to be very careful on the language I use, but how can they know if somebody's addicted to, to pornography? Well, you, you could see even use the word, word enslaved. Mm, how, yeah. how do we know addicted and enslaved is very much biblical terminology and think about it? Yeah, so I'll take a concept from Ed Welch, who, who very much has mentored me and Jonathan Holmes. So a lot of the concepts that we've taken from Ed, we have in the books. Ed talks about voluntary slavery as a good way to capture the idea of addiction. Mm. Voluntary as in I made choices that got me into this mess. But slavery, I've made choices so often, it has now enslaved me to the desires that now rule my life. Uh, we're, 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 we know that we're in trouble when the desires now have control of us, rather than we having control of them. Mm. That, that, that's one Good. key. Another key would be, we know when we're starting to hide and lie and manipulate in order to sin that our life is now oriented around the sin, that we're in trouble. Uh, We know that we're in trouble when we're isolating ourselves away from the people who matter from us. So Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. Uh, We know we're in trouble when our hearts have grown cold to God, when there's a crusting over and a hardening of our hearts that gets us in trouble. Now, I could list a lot more, but that's just examples of Okay, how do we know we've gone from 
just having looked once and sinned, to now we're now addicted and enslaved. Well, you got indicators like that that begin to become warning signs like you are in a very troubled spot spiritually in dealing with this. Uh, address this question, because I know uh, even as a pastor, like it was uh, eye-opening to me when I realized, uh, and I'm going to set this up for the question, but when I realized this is not just a typical, like this is not just a problem for men. This this goes beyond that. But talk to us about that. Is this, like it's mainly seen as a problem for men, but in your kind of experience, is that what, is that so? Yeah, no, it's not. In fact, what I, I see now is a growing tide of women who are raised on the iPhone and the internet and are addicted. Um, so you think about the younger generations, which is generation Z and alpha, have grown up on technology. And now they're teenagers, they're becoming young adults. And as those generations hit, we're seeing a normalizing of pornography among young women. So you, you, you pop on shows for teenage girls on Netflix, they talk about porn as if it's a norm. Um, now, very different generationally for women. Like it's, if you talk to a baby boomer, that is not the case. I mean, the, the percentages are drastically different, but what we see is a tidal wave coming up from below in the younger generations, and it's about to hit the shores in terms of our congregation. So the young adults are going to be showing up struggling with this. And that's because we're now dealing with the younger generations that have been completely raised on technology. They're showing up at our door. So, you know, generally, you can look at a lot of studies. Men are going to hit around the range of 50 to 70% of men at some point have struggled with pornography or looked at it. The numbers now are like, it's usually like 20 to 30 percentage points. Um, you know, I had, I had, um, hmm. had people help me do research and one of them looked at, um, porn hubs annual report. didn't look at any porn, but looked at the annual report where they give their statistics. And you could see for women, the numbers were in the thirties, uh, of, of the overall people who go to the most well-known website uh, for tracking pornography that they and in certain places in the world, because they even had it down to different countries, the numbers, you know, it was as much as 50 percent of the women in 50 uh, percent were women who were looking at pornography. So it, it is a, it is a common problem. Wow. And the difficulty in this, women struggle with shame twice as much as men because it is pitched as a man's problem. So hmm. then a pastor preaches about immorality, but only addresses the men. Then the 20% to 30% of women who are in the younger generation sitting there think, I must be a freak mm. because he can't even address me. I don't even fit in a category for my pastor when it comes to this problem. Yeah, and I would say growing up, I mean, that would have been kind of how I heard, heard this, you know, taught and preached on and, and so forth, I would say. Uh, so that's, that's helpful. And, and we get to some of the practical things. In a minute, if maybe you have some counsel for pastors as far as how to handle this in certain texts, that'd be uh, that'd be good. Uh, so, let's talk about kind of cut out the eye uh, steps to take to to fight being enslaved. Um, if someone is struggling with pornography, sinning deeply with pornography, where should they turn? Kind of what steps should they take immediately, and then what kind of steps should they take in the long term in order to, in some sense, put off what is evil and put on what is righteous and good. Yeah, so let's do immediate, and then we'll do long-term, like you mentioned. Yep. So immediate, first find 
If you're a struggler, find the most godly person you know of the same gender in your local church and beg them for help. Mm. Just be honest. That could fit for so many things. <laughs> yeah. So be good. honest, yep. be humble, be transparent, go to them and say, I got a problem. Would you please commit to helping me out of this pit? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, if you can at least do that, because if you can't do that, you're showing you're not ready to face up to the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a, that's a key first thing, because, you know, as we, we talk to people, like, are you ready to deal with it? Um, because if you're ready to deal with it, then there's a lot we can do. That's the first thing. Second thing, and I emphasize this in the classes I teach on this problem, it's like access, 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 access. It's, 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 and we're, it's not going to solve the problem, but the first thing we got to do is we've got to get at the access points that allow the person to look at pornography, and we got to cut them out. Mm-hmm. So Matthew 5, like, gouge out your eye, cut off your arm. What is Jesus saying? He's not saying be passive about sin. You've got to be radical. And for a guy who I read the text to this week who's struggling, and I said, what word do you have? He said, Jesus is telling me to be brutal about this. Mm, good. I was like, all right, right, be brutal about it. And, and usually, if I talk to somebody who's struggling, I'll ask them, are there any access points that you know right now you have on your phone or computer that in a moment temptation, you know you can go ahead and act, get something? And often they will think about it for a moment, and then they'll look at me and say, yeah, I can name one. Mm. So they, they know they have they know a way in to get it. So every time somebody comes, we work out the access points to the point like, man, I, I know how to lock down a phone. I have, I have worked really hard to understand how to lock down an iPhone mm. so that... The standard I want to offer is what my buddy Garrett Kell at Del Rey Baptist said to one of the guys in discipling when they had lunch a couple of months ago. He held up his phone to this guy and said, if you put a gun to my head, I cannot find something on my phone. Mm. I said, well, Garrett knows then like how to lock it down. He's right. taken this completely seriously. He has not left any open po- access points available mm. to mm. himself. I do not think most people are going for that standard. They're not being, I think they're not being people, brutal. Yeah, they, they are not going for this brutal standard. And like, you know, if people were being brutal, they, we would, it would actually help a ton of the problems that we're facing. Hmm. Um, and that means like, you know what, if I'm working with somebody and we shut things down and then three months later he falls, well, the, he knows exactly the first thing I'm going to go after. I'm going to go after whatever the access point was. We're going to shut that thing down. Get it out. So that's immediate. Yeah. Find a godly person, shut down the access point. Long-term uh, accountability, man, most of the accountability I hear about stinks. It, it, it is not very good yeah. and is often unhelpful. Mm. And so you're looking for accountability that actually works, that, that helps out. So, you know, I, I, there's a lot of parameters I could give, but examples would be honest, frequent, local, and tough. Like you can be brutally honest with one another. Yep. It's frequent enough that you got somebody in your face pretty regularly checking on you. Uh, um, local, like, do not make your main accountability your best friend from college who doesn't live in the same state. Right. Good. Um, you, it Good. needs to be somebody in your own local church you have to see regularly, who you have to rub shoulders with, uh, who you do life with. That's the best kind of accountability you can have. Mm. Um, and then tough. You need someone who's going to ask the, the questions that are going to be uncomfortable. Right. Uh, you can't have someone who's going to soft pedal this. 
if you really want to get to get to the problem. Now, there's other things like I wanted to be word centered, Christ centered, encouraging, hopeful. All those things are important to fill out what we want. I do not want some some guy who's just going to like beat up on me every week, make me feel condemned, make me feel like I'm a jerk. I mean, that's just not going to help me get out of a pit. Yeah, that's good. So that's accountability, heart desire. So once we set up the account, the uh, the the accountability, and we deal with the access points, so put up a decent firewall. Well, what that does is it puts up a wall around a sexually crazed heart. Mm. And so we still got to deal with the heart. We got to deal with the desires that motivated the person. So, you know, I was talking through with a group of members last night as we were dealing with a case study. We talked about a guy who the main motivation for him was escape to deal with his stress and entitlement mm. to feel like a, those, those were the heart desires that motivated him to pursue it. Um, and, you know, when he presented first, he talked about lust and, and, and pleasure. And yet when we pressed in, there was much more than just that. Mm. And so you got to understand the heart desires. Then community. You can't do this alone. Yep. you got to do it in a context of a body of believers. So you got to attach your life to a body of believers where you're accountable to them for your spiritual life. Mm. And you also are contributing to them. Good. Absolutely vital to not do this. And because the temptation with accountability is you let one or two people in and you have this small inner circle, and that's basically it. Mm. Like, no, 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 no. You got you gotta join yourself to a body of believers because that's gonna be the lifeblood um to, to, to help you survive. Shame, I mentioned, you know, women try struggle twice as much as men, but shame is a big issue in dealing with it. It makes us hide. And most people, I think, understand shame in terms of a generic embarrassment, but do not know biblically how to address it. They, they don't even know what are the scripture texts to go, how scripture speaks into this, and even what to do with the shame uh, in, in, in that sense. So got to know how to address the shame. Yeah. Temptations. We don't know how to equip people to fight temptations. We often deal in porn in the aftermath after they fall. And so teaching people what to do when the battle begins. At, at, at the front end of temptation, what are the skills we need in order to handle it? Then afterwards, if they do fall, what do you do after you fall? Like most people don't know what to do. You know, you wrestle with guilt and shame. You wallow in guilt and shame. There's, there's uh, somewhat steps of repentance, but they're not complete steps of repentance, not necessarily genuine. Hmm. And so why are you surprised that they fall back into it again? So having a plan after you fall and understanding what accountability and help pursuing God looks like. And then one last thing is weariness. I mean, now, now the folks who show up at me got hooked, have been hooked since they're teenagers, and I've got young adults in their 20s uh, or 30s showing up, which means they've been fighting it 10, 15, you know, the, the one that most recently walked in the door has been fighting it for 30 years. Oh. Uh, so there's a certain kind of weariness you take on when it becomes a battle over years a kind of giving up that happens, a giving in because you don't believe God can change you anymore. So there, there's a different thing that we need to do if you're dealing with a weary soldier who's just come off a battlefield. Uh, so you treat the weary soldier after years of battle differently than when you're on the front end of the battle. Um, so we, we got to know what to do with the weariness and how to encourage someone and help someone to persevere and regain the kind of hope that's needed that change is possible.
there's a lot more because yeah. we wrote two books. Sure. <laughs> but yeah. that, that hits quickly. Yeah. You know, and hit, hits quickly a number of categories that you just want to have operating categories to think about. Yeah, that's, that's so good. And again, I, w- I want people to pick up the book and, and you give them just a kind of taste. So I want to ask a, some, a specific question about each book. So Rescue Plan, you talk about kind of the four ingredients of giving in. And then in Rescue Skills, you talk about the deadly triad. Can you just briefly unpack those so that people have a taste of it so they'll pick pick the book up and check it out? Yeah, yeah. so we, we talk about in the moment of acting out and looking at porn, a simple way to characterize what we're dealing with those four ingredients are four A's. Access points, so you can't get anything if you don't have an access point. Anonymity, you usually do this on your own. You're not mm-hmm. doing this in a crowd of people. Um appetite what's what's funnily behind an addiction is a desire it's an over it's a desire that's overrun your life it's an inordinate desire right. um that that you're dealing with and so you got to get a hold of that appetite and then atheism anytime we choose sin there is unbelief uh, even even if it's momentary atheism it is a moment where i choose sin over god and I got to deal with my unbelief fundamentally. So those are the four A's, a simple way to characterize dynamics that we're dealing in the moment that someone chooses to, to act out on the sin. Now, in Rescue Skills, we talk about the deadly ter- triad. So once someone's addicted, I think there are three operating things you want to always th- keep in mind. One, if somebody ad- is, is addicted, they have deadened their conscience. The warning bells that initially were there are long since silent. Two. What we've mentioned a couple of times now, these overruling desires, inordinate desires that have taken over your life, are now setting the agenda. So the conscience is not working. It's not, it's not warning you. It's not slowing you down. You're overrunning it. Instead, the ruling desires are setting the agenda. And the, number three, the gospel affections that are supposed to run your life have been dampened. And that combination, a dead conscience, ruling desires, and a loss of gospel affections, I think is the combination often that puts us in peril. Um, So that's a quick way to kind of diagnose like different dynamics of a person's kind of inner life as they're dealing with the addiction. And what does that mean? Well, we got to pray for the spirit to revive the conscience. We got to kill those uh, inordinate, selfish, ruling desires, and we got to revive the gospel affections. I mean, that's a simple way to describe yeah. it, but it gives us a diagnosis. That's really good. I mean, I'm even thinking about, you've brought up uh, access and anonymity, and it's, it's so interesting. I remember growing up, uh, so my youth pastor at the time was Jimmy Scroggins, who pastors down in, in um, yeah. uh, West Palm Beach. And he just he, he made the point, again, that what's so interesting about smartphones, and, and they allow us to do so much good. I mean, you're even recording your, your part of the conversation on a smartphone, but it has allowed what wasn't possible in previous generations, Right. To get access, you actually had to go buy this in public somewhere, typically, and you didn't have anonymity. Even if you had it, like, you know, if you had the, if you had an album that your parents wouldn't let you have, you just, you had to hide it under your bed and your parents could yeah. catch you with it. And now it's, yeah. it's hidden away on your phone. It's just so much more, again, with something that can do so much good, it also can do so much damage and, and enslavement to people. Yeah. Yeah. Let's ask, I want to get to some practical questions. You sort of touched on at least one or two of these, but let's kind of go quick, kind of rapid fire, practical questions. If somebody is enslaved to pornography, should they give up their smartphone? Well, this is is an interesting one, uh, because my initial answer is no. I think you need to learn how to lock down your phone is probably better, because the iPhone is actually really well-equipped if you make use of all the things that are there. Interestingly, I mean, they set it up for parents 
to be able to monitor their teens, but all the things that they put in there help us in fighting this battle. The problem is, I just don't think people lock down their phones the way I described Garrett being brutal earlier. Um, so therefore, you know, if, uh, if you don't lock down your phone, then maybe you do need the nuclear option and giving it up. So, but I think it's either or. Like, right. You can actually lock down your phone if you know what you're doing. But if you don't lock down your phone and you have regular access, then you need to give it up because it's like carrying dynamite in your pocket. Yeah, good. Second one, then good technology. I mean, this kind of leads into this question. Good technological resources. You know, I know of Covenant Eyes and other things, but anything you guys would recommend uh, uh, as far as, hey, here's how you can be brutal and kind of lock yourself down. Yeah. Well, so, you know, the, the, the main thing is like getting a couple, a couple of things would be books, 12 ways your phone changes you yep, yep. and the tech wise life, uh, tech wise family and the tech wise life. Bo- both of those are good resources to not just commend specifics, but also a general philosophy of how do you deal with this kind of technology on the one hand. Covenant Eyes is, an, is the classic example in terms of software that people use, but actually you need to look out there because there's a lot of different ways now to use it. And the, the more books I've been putting out on this kind of material, the more I'm getting people writing and pointing out things I didn't even know about. Hmm. So, for example, Circle um, is a way to control um, things at the level of a modem rather than at the level of a device. It's a, just a different system in monitoring things. So any device in your home can be monitored because you have it at the level of the, the, the modem in circle. So, and no, no one can get through that filter because every device is hooked in there versus Covenant Eyes, you got to connect to every, you got to download it on every single device. Mm. But you just got to look at the different systems that are out there. There's a lot, of, a lot of good technology that's out there to help both individuals and actually parents with their teens too. Good. That's good. Should a person that's enslaved to pornography date? No, 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 no. And can I say it again? No. Uh, if, if there's a consistent pattern of looking at porn, they need to clean up their life before they date because they've shown they're not ready to take responsibility for someone else if they can't even control their own life. Uh, so, you know, I, I just don't see that as the maturity of a husband. And I say that because I deal with all the marriages in which this is a problem, and I can see the havoc it wreaks on marriages, especially destroying trust within a marriage. And and having seen all those situations, it's gotten me much more aggressive on the other end of if a guy is struggling with it and he wants a date, I tell him no more times than I just said a moment ago Mm -hmm. and say, like, let me work with you and let's deal with it. Because the moment the guy dreads, because most women know guys are struggling, so they're going to ask is when they're dating and she asks, do you struggle with porn? And he has to say, oh, stink, I do. And now she doesn't know whether she wants to do this anymore. Yeah. What, what you want is being able to say, I used to struggle, and it's been a year or two or three or four since I've ever looked at anything. By the grace of God, I've been pure for a long time. That's the answer we want. I could just even imagine with the, the kind of the enslaving power of, of, of this sin in particular, it can even in dating lead to poor decisions when it comes to marriage and other things. And so, uh, or even just damage in marriage and so forth. There's a lot that could come from not dealing with this and kind of cutting it off at the root. Um, last very practical question. Then I just want to get some words of wisdom and, or just some encouragement as, as we kind of sign off, but who, okay. So I asked this question from a place of knowing the awkward guy who confesses this in a mixed, uh, you know, small group, a mixed men and women and confesses sin. 
Who should a person that's struggling with this confess this to? And again, you've kind of hit on this a little bit. Could you just maybe talk about that briefly? Yeah, Uh, they confess to someone who's no longer struggling with the porn. Uh, Don't don't confess to people who are also struggling with it because they're not going to be as strong as they need to on each other. They're going to be a little too soft. They should confess to someone who's of the same gender. They should confess to someone who's older, wiser, more godly than them. They should confess to someone who's willing to ask them hard questions. They should confess to someone who will love them and persevere in loving them no matter what goes on. The caveat, though, is your spouse should know if you're married. Like, your spouse shouldn't be completely in the dark on this, but you need to navigate that really carefully. I I advocate the main people who are your accountability are people of the same gender who are discipling you, and they they get the gruesome details of what's going on in Trench, but your spouse should have a broad outline and understand what the battle is, because how else are they going to be partner with you against your sin? If they have no idea what what this what the sin struggle is in this area, so I think the partner should at least know in broad strokes what what's going on. So you know, say do you for example, address that the, any in the book? We we do. Okay. We have a chapter on marriage and how how to how to think through this in marriage and how the spouse, um, well, husband or wife, depending on who's struggling, how how to think through being accountability and where 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 to build accountability in your local church and what what that looks like. Mm, good. All right, I just want to get you out of here on this, kind of just any final words of counsel on this topic, and then kind of one encouragement on why they should pick up these two books. Yeah, the final words, especially to any of those who are struggling right now with it, is that Christ can help you defeat the sin. Do not not give in to the lie that God can't change you or you're beyond God's grace. Um, the, the wonderful thing about having now been around this church for three decades, like I've been here since 1991, um, is that I have shown up here myself as a single guy with m- many of other guys who were struggling with pornography in different ways. And now many of us in our 40s and 50s are still here. And yet I've seen these men not only defeat this sin, but have years of reprieve. And several of them are now elders in the church with me. Amen. And so I, I, I have seen living examples of people who can defeat the sin and persevere in purity. Like Good. God can defeat the sin. So I, I, I want to say anybody who's at that place who they've given up and they believe the lie that God can't change them, that is just not true. That's number one. Number two, if, if you are helping someone who uh, 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 is struggling with this, or if you think, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good resource for somebody, but I haven't encountered it, well, in this fallen world, you will run into it. You, you, maybe not now, and maybe, uh, maybe a lady's listening to this and thinking, well, I don't hear other ladies talk about it. Well, you'll deal with this with your teenage son in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Or you'll deal with this with a young lady who confesses to you in church. Mm-hmm. Um, so get equipped, like go ahead. What I love now is I'm running, I'm running a class for our members and I've got men and women. I've got 30 members who are in a class with me trying to get equipped so they can be a much better help to fellow members within the church. I just, they want to get in the trenches with them. So get equipped, take the time to read, get to know this, even if you're not personally struggling with it so that you know how to handle it, and you can be a, let's just call it a high-end discipler. Mm. 
We're not looking for superstars, professional counselors. We're just looking for people who love Jesus, who want to know how to help people who are struggling in their own church. That's good. Well, Deepak, I really, really appreciate the time. This is so helpful. Definitely pick up these resources. Would highly commend them. I would love to have you back on again, not just obviously about this topic, but other topics have been so blessed by your ministry. And thanks for taking the time to be on. Yeah, glad to do it. A pleasure having the time with you, brother. Yeah, keep waging the good fight, brother. We're so thankful for you and thankful for uh, you guys listening to the Baptist 21 podcast. Thank you for listening to the Baptist 21 podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at our website, baptist21.com. Also, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with others. It would really help us out. If you ever have thoughts or ideas for future interviews, please reach out to us at our email, babbis21 at gmail.com. Again, thanks for listening to the podcast.